welcome back. I'm Ashley, your hostess for the Sharp End Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the American Alpine Club and sponsored by Mammut. Designed and developed in the Swiss Alps, Mammut has been making the finest alpine equipment since 1862. Driven by a continuous quest for innovation, Mammut's technical clothing, footwear, climbing gear, avalanche safety, and alpine equipment are distinguished by the highest quality, functionality, and safety. They embody Swiss technology and perfection. Mammut, absolute alpine. Also, thanks to Vertical Medicine Resources and the Colorado Outbound School for being contributing sponsors of the Sharp End. All right, folks. So I want to prepare you for this. Um, I think that this is one of the most intense stories I've heard yet. When I first heard about this accident, I was in disbelief. Today, I want you to meet Ryan. He is truly a survivor and, and you'll hear why. Welcome to the Sharp End, Ryan. Hey, yeah, good to be here. And can you go ahead and introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, I'm uh, Ryan Montoya. I'm a student uh, currently at CU Boulder. Uh, I've been living in Colorado for about five years now and a bit of an amateur mountain climber. And uh, in the last two months, I had an accident on Pyramid Peak. And where's Pyramid Peak? It's right by the Maroon Bells, so pretty close to Aspen. Okay, is that a... 14er or it is yeah it's, so it's a yeah 14,000 foot peak um one of the more technical ones i would say um as a lot of those are in the aspen area um some pretty loose crumbly rock um but a, a beautiful area so definitely one worth visiting and were you out there by yourself uh yeah i, I was by myself um this winter season, I had a little bit of trouble finding winter climbing partners, uh, got more technical rock experience in the summer. So that's kind of tends to be where my, my partners are. Um, but this whole winter season, I've been trying to really get up my skill, uh, in that area, try to, I had a attempt on Mount Shasta actually earlier and failed. And so back in Colorado decided that, well, first did Long's Peak and then, just kind of moving up the ladder and thought Pyramid Peak would be a, a pretty good milestone for me. Um, but yeah, partners didn't line up, so I, I figured I'd just give it a go. What kind of gear are, do you carry for that day trip? My plan was to do an overnighter, so it was just going to be uh, two days. First day was going to be approaching, kind of getting the, all the the road uh, during the winter. The Maroon Bells Lake Road is snowed in. Um, so it makes you do a fair amount of mileage to pull the round trip. So I was going to go to Crater Lake. Um, but as that required an overnight, I brought, uh, my sleeping bag, baby sack. Uh, I had a stove food. I had a lot of food. Um, and I had all of my avalanche gear as well. And the off chance that somebody else would be up there. Um, so that includes a, a beacon shovel probe, um, and I had my crampons, my technical, I had a technical ice axe as well as a standard, uh, mountaineering axe. And the helmet? Yeah, I had a helmet. <laughs> always bring a helmet when it's, when it's uh, third class or more. Oh, good. Okay, cool. Okay, great. So what time did you start your day? Yeah, so I started, um, it was a Saturday and I got to the trailhead, I think, around noon, approximately. 
and um, started skinning up the road. It was a super clear, super nice day, and I was just kind of kicking myself for not having made that trip the day before and optimizing uh, around that good weather window. I knew the next day was not going to be as good, but I was um, aware that the real bad weather wouldn't start until later on. so, yeah, it was, it was about noon and took a couple hours to get up that uh, road up to the um, Maroon Bells uh, Lake Trailhead. All right. And then did you camp there? I went up past uh, Maroon Lake and camped at the, I guess it would be the south side of Crater Lake. Um, so just had about a quarter mile or less to get to the base of my climb. My plan was to start up the West Gully and climb the Northwest Ridge of Pyramid Peak. Uh, It seemed like a good option given the avalanche conditions, um, wind, et cetera. Yeah. So camped out that night, um, felt real strong. Uh, I, I was nervous before the climb. Um, I normally am, especially before a solo climb. There's a lot of variables. Um, and frankly, I think it's probably a, a good thing. Kind of keeps you on your toes. Definitely don't want to get complacent. So uh, the next day when I woke up, though, um, it was about 3 a.m. And I was feeling strong. Usually when I begin to climb, uh, you know, things start getting going, start feeling a lot better. Um, and so I made my way up to the West Goalie. And when I got there, I noticed there had been a big avalanche down the gully. Um, and at that point, I was still on my climbing, my skis and my skins. Uh, and I hadn't switched out to my mountaineering boots yet. Uh, so I started moving up the gully um, after I got to where it, it steepened out a bit. I figured um, it'd be best to hop out onto the rocks on the, um, I think it was north of the gully. Um, right there had been pretty, uh, wind scoured. And so there were clean rocks and it looked like all the way up to the top. And given that I have more, uh, summer experience and dry terrain is much faster than plunge stepping. I figured that'd be the right way to go. So I took off my skis, stashed them, uh, popped on my boots and scampered up to the top. So I actually gained the ridge fairly quickly. I don't know exactly how long it took. Um, but by the time I was up on the West Ridge, uh, the snow had already moved in. Um, so it was getting a bit windy and a bit snowy. So I was still not committed to the summit at that point. Um, but I figured the conditions weren't too, too bad. It wasn't too windy. Um, and I still could very easily back down even in, uh, adverse conditions. So decided to, to keep moving on up. So I was on the Northwest Ridge. Um, and then, after you gain the ridge, that's kind of the easier part of the climb. Uh, once you get to the northwest ridge uh, proper, then it starts to get a little bit more technical. There's a couple of avalanche traps to look out for. Um, but after having a little bit to eat, drinking some water, uh, scrambled up a bit higher, and the rubble gully, which is kind of the first avalanche hazard, um, was pretty windswept. There wasn't a whole lot of snow. I could see a ton of rocks. So that was a a green light for me to keep on moving. Um, and by the time I got up to the top of it though, uh, I have not done pyramid peak in the summer and it's definitely recommended just for route finding purposes to do that particular mountain in the summer. Um, but I kind of trusted my, my route finding skills for better or for worse. Uh, and I think I ended up getting a little bit off course. I took, um, I guess I moved a bit, south 
So I think I ended up uh, kind of missing the proper route up. I thought I saw – I did see a rock heron, but it was, um, I guess, off from the, the proper winter route. If you do it correctly, I think it's difficult class four, uh, but certainly winter conditions can push anything up a little higher than that. So I was anticipating maybe some low fifth class, um, and the route I ended up taking I think was fifth class uh, low anyway. I actually spent a lot of time debating whether or not I should keep going at that point. Um, but pyramid had been something I'd been thinking about for years. So, uh, maybe, you know, it was the wrong decision, uh, but hindsight's everything. I decided to keep going. Um, it worked myself through this really awkward chimney squeeze. Um, and after that point, uh, it was kind of loose, very steep snow, um, kind of difficult moving up. I tried not to do anything that I didn't think I could down climb and I'm fairly certain I could down climb, but it, there was definitely a fair amount of exposure on the way up. Um, so I was pretty happy to top out on that pitch. And sure enough, when I got to the top, I saw the summer trail anyway, did not go down my route. Um, so I had a little extra fun, I suppose. So over that point, um, there's, some. Um, not too difficult terrain. Then the final kind of hazard is this west facing bowl um, that's very cliffed out and is prone to avalanches. So when I got to that hazard, um, again, it didn't look very loaded. It certainly was enough to slide. Um, but after checking it out, um, kind of made the decision that I wanted to, to keep moving on, that I thought that it was acceptable risk. Um, and I tried to stay as far to the, the top of the bowl as possible, trying to stick by the, the cliffs, the rock band, and um, moved, moved through the bowl, didn't have any problems, didn't see anything sliding, um, and kind of finished on the little JP sneak, which is just a really, it, it's kind of a way to bypass uh, some of the route. And uh, then at that point, I was on the, the ridge proper uh, to the summit. And, uh, at that point I could see the summit. I mean, it was, it was right there, right in front of me. The weather still wasn't too extreme. There wasn't a lot of wind. Um, it was snowing. Visibility wasn't great. And, uh, I was just kind of poking around on the, the rocky ridge top, looking for, uh, the best way up. It looked maybe third class or class two, if you were smart. Um, and that's where my memory kind of, fades a little bit. I, I, I don't actually know what happened on top. Um, I wish I did because I think it would be, uh, good to know your mistakes so you don't repeat them. Um, but I, I think something must've broken beneath me cause, uh, next thing I knew I was falling. Um, and you know, those first few seconds, uh, certainly didn't register, um, but then after it, it doesn't end and it takes a couple more seconds, then you start going, Oh, wait a minute, what's, what's happening right now? Um, and it was snowy and I had my goggles on, which really quickly fogged up, got, you know, blasted with snow. So I, I couldn't see anything either. Um, so it was really just a physical experience. Um, and that, that experience was incredibly disorienting. You know, I, I had no idea what way it was up. Uh, it was down, could pretty much just hear, uh, hear the sound of, you know, my body hitting the snow sliding and, um, 
And then, you know, I took a couple of drops. Um, I don't know how many I kind of lost count, but I would, I'd be sliding along the snow and then all of a sudden, you know, you just, you just get air and, uh, you know, hang time for a couple of seconds and then hit again, keep going. Uh, and it didn't, you know, I, people have asked me how long it was that I fell for you time wise. And I, I can't put a number on it, but it was long enough that I knew I was falling. Um, and every time, you know, it, it, you know, picked up the speed or I went over a cliff, I, I was going, okay, you know, now, now it's over. And, and frankly, was kind of looking forward to it because it was, uh, you know, this next drop going to hit rocks is going to be over. I mean, by that point I was, fully aware that I was taking quite a large fall and I really expected it to be over soon. Um, but you know, after all of that, uh, you know, suddenly I noticed I'd been sliding on snow for longer than normal and hadn't taken a fall. And so I guess instincts just kind of kicked in and I, I dug my hands in the snow, uh, and I slowed to a stop. Um, and rolled over and just was kind of <laughs> trying to figure out what the heck just happened. <laughs> Cause it was a little hard to, hard to understand, you know, that transition from looking at the top to all of a sudden, Oh my goodness, I'm falling. Uh, you know, didn't think I'd be facing that. When you, when you fell, did you lose just all of your gear? Did you have your, cause you initially said you had an ice ax and a nice tool, did those just go missing in the fall? Yeah. So the ice tool, um, was gone probably right away. And then the mountaineering ax got ripped out of my backpack cause that was just strapped to the outside. Um, I had lost my left glove. So I had my right glove still, uh, my right cramp on tore off my boots. So I still have my left one. Um, I lost my headlamp cause I'd just been wearing that the whole morning. It was about 11 AM when I fell. Also, when I noticed that my headlamp was missing, I noticed that I had a giant hole in my helmet. I guess the fall hadn't been as gentle as I thought in terms of snow versus rock. I, I don't know what I hit cause I couldn't see anything. And, but, but really I wasn't really noticing much of that. The first thing I noticed was, uh, the pain cause that, that finally hit, um, my leg, my right leg was, uh, I was just, I, I, you know, I've never had a serious break before. I think the most I've broken was my nose. Um, but I, I knew right away that I had broken something in my leg and, uh, also my left arm, uh, my elbow, the arm was, I knew at least dislocated to some degree, uh, kind of sticking off at a funny angle, um, in quite a bit of pain. So that's actually the first thing that I think instincts just kicked in. Um, cause I don't have any formal medical training, which is something I deeply regret, um, and look to change. But I, I grabbed my arm and just started working at it since I didn't know what to do until finally it, it clicked back into place. Yeah, the pain went away. Um, and I was able to focus on the pain in my leg, which was a little less, uh, I guess severe than the dislocation at that point. Um, and I was checking for, for blood, you know, anything sticking out, whatever. I just wanted to assess out exactly what was wrong with me. My head was fine. Uh, I didn't have any, any pain, no headaches or anything like that. Um, but I, I saw blood, I looked up the slope and I saw blood and 
uh, was kind of panicking for a moment there, but I realized, uh, I guess I just bit my cheek. And so that's the only place I had an open wound, uh, was in my mouth. Wow. Uh, That's lucky. Yeah. Yeah. Very lucky. Um, you know, I couldn't figure out what was wrong with my leg. Uh, it just seemed like, you know, there was nothing odd, nothing poking out or whatever. So I just, I, you know, just counting my blessings at that point. Um, and I still had my backpack on. Uh, so what I did, I, I tried to stand, um, but the leg, the pain in my leg was just too much. Couldn't stand, couldn't put any weight on it. And when I put my arm out for support, my elbow clicked out of place again, worked it back in and knew, okay, I guess I got to be careful with my, my left arm. And fortunately, I guess that that was the glove that was missing. So I really wasn't going to use that much uh, anyway, you know, without risking freezing that hand. So the emotions I felt at that point, you know, they finally hit. I, I still thought I was going to die. I mean, I certainly thought I was going to on a fall. And when I was sitting there on the slope, I guess a lot of, a lot of frustration, a lot of anger. Um, I didn't, I didn't feel panic. And actually on the whole, whole trip, I didn't feel, uh, you know, I didn't panic, um, which I think was largely in part to just, I I guess I had a drive to just keep moving, keep doing things. As long as I could keep doing stuff, uh, it was okay. So that, that was the low point because at that point I didn't think I could do anything. Um, what I, what I did try and do right there was, uh, you know, I just wanted to get out of the wind. Um, you know, sitting in my pants were starting to soak. Um, so I, I took out my backpack just trying to figure out what I had. Um, and I had my shovel with me. So I started to dig a, you know, just laying on the slope. I was trying to dig out some shelter. Um, when I think more my rational side started kicking in and I realized, you know, not, not the best place for a cave. I thought if I was there, maybe search and rescue could see me pretty easily. Uh, if they ended up flying overhead. Um, cause, uh, the other thing that crossed my mind was I did not recognize that side of the mountain. So I had fallen on the wrong side of the mountain. I came up the West side and I fell off the East side. And so if search and rescue was going to come, they were going to go where I told people I was climbing, which was the West side of the mountain. You know, that that's a little bit of a spirit killer because the other side is the popular side where people actually hike. Uh, so I thought if I, you know, I, I didn't know. I thought if anything would see me, it'd probably be like a Black Hawk helicopter if, if the weather cleared. Um, but I knew that day there was going to be a big storm. So I didn't want to be on top of the mountain or I guess halfway down the mountain. Um, so I started looking around and I, I saw at the bottom of the canyon uh, on the east side, I saw a little pond, um, which I did not expect to see because on the other side, the river, you know, everything was all covered up. There wasn't any water. Um, but I actually saw open water at the bottom of the canyon. And I had, I actually brought my stove up with me that day. Um, I didn't bring my, any of my camping, sleeping gear. The only thing I had was an emergency, uh, bivy sack, which is like, um, it's kind of like a metallic reflective trash bag, um, which I brought with me as kind of an afterthought, but I had it. So I was grateful. Um, and 
I thought that if I could get to the water, you know, having an unlimited supply of water, I knew would be huge for fighting off frostbite, uh, fatigue, any of that. Um, and I wasn't going to be able to boil water for any extended amount of time. So with that in mind, I decided I needed to get down the mountain, uh, get to that water, uh, was kind of the immediate objective. And I tried glissading a little bit, but with the deep snow and my leg being kind of unusable, that didn't work. Uh, so what I did instead was, uh, took my shovel and I sat on the, uh, the, like spade and brought the handle up between my legs and was able to kind of scoot down that way. And I could, you know, raise the handle or lower the handle to, to break or kind of increase my speed. Uh, I wanted to try and slide down a little more quickly. Uh, but when I did that, you know, I got into kind of a tumble and breaking required me digging in my right leg, which killed as well as dislocating my arm again, oh. which killed. <laughs> so it's like, okay, I, I got to take it slow. Um, so it was kind of just inch by inch scooting down, uh, which with the temperature and the buildup of snow, you know, my, my crotch was just completely frozen. Um, but I could move down slowly, uh, and safely. So I, I, I moved down the Canyon until, uh, I hit a cliff band that at that point I really didn't want to have to go back up to try and navigate around it. Um, so I just kind of kept going to see what would be down there. Um, found a little chute and I had to turn into the slope and just kind of take really slow, uh, hops with my, my left foot. Um, this day, it was quite steep. Um, so I really didn't want to fall. And, uh, after kind of inching my way around a couple of the cliff bands, um, tried to sit back down and slide and ended up, yeah. So it ended up uh, being kind of a fast track to the bottom of the Canyon. I only fell like probably like 50 feet. Um, and at that point it was just kind of a nice shoot straight out. So it, it took me to the bottom of the canyon. I think, oh boy, it must have been a couple of hours of going down that thing. Yeah, it just took forever. But uh, the pond was close by. The angle of the slope was too shallow to be able to slide anymore. So I started crawling, um, trying again not to use my left arm. Um, and the snow was kind of deep. So I used the shovel as kind of a flotation device. Um I, I think I dislocated my elbow again. That thing just throughout the whole trip just kept going in and out and was terrible. But um, finally made it to the water, and uh, it was a shallow little pool. It was about an inch deep probably with tons of mud, um, but it was water. And I dug in a snow cave right by the water, Um laid out my pack. I took off my boot shells, um, but kept on my liners and just kind of laid everything down. That was reasonably waterproof as insulation because I didn't have my pad put in the, uh, emergency bivy sack and tucked myself in for the night. Um, I still had a reasonable amount of food left. Um, so was, was happy about that. Um, what else but, were you feeling when you're laying there? I, I can't imagine what you, was going through your mind. I was uh, 
in a lot better spirits than I was higher up on the mountain. Um, just because I had achieved something, which I think was important. You know, I, I got down to the water. I now had an unlimited supply of water. Uh, and, um, I thought, you know, given that I was in this little crude shelter, uh, I could probably wait out, uh, you know, a fair number of days, um, to wait for search and rescue if they happened to look on that side of the mountain, you know, assuming the storm would break. I've read a lot of, you know, mountaineering stories, people surviving. And so I think at that point, the one running through my head was minus 148 when they winter summited Alaska, uh, Denali and had to hang out in a snow cave for like eight days. So I was kind of thinking, oh, you know, they, they did that. I'll, I'll be okay. <laughs> So I, I was I was feeling better, and I've also, when I was like in high school, my buddies and I would kind of put ourselves in emergency scenarios for fun, I guess, and try to, you know, wait out a really bad night. So I had a fair, a little bit of experience with terrible nights um, in the snow. So I wasn't as much out of my element. Um, and so that night I started boiling water just to put it in my Nalgene and keep that, you know, under my jacket or between my legs to stay warm. Um, I got a little greedy with that and ended up running out of fuel, um, which kind of kicked myself for, but, but frankly wasn't thinking too much when it gets uncomfortable and cold like that. The, the best way to deal with it is just kind of to not think, I think, <laughs> think um you know the night passes really slow you don't get any sleep um it just kind of turns into kind of a nauseous dream <laughs> where you're just in and out of consciousness um but I, I i was shivering non-stop which was actually really encouraging i never was running out of the energy to keep shaking and staying warm so i never felt like oh if i fell asleep you know i wasn't going to wake up again um and at that point i had on enough layers uh and with the bivy sack that i none of my extremities you know felt like they were going to be like frostbitten or anything my, my toes were going numb but uh nothing too too worrisome so, okay, yeah, so just, that, that's, in, that's insane. So you get a terrible night's sleep, kind of, kind of sleep. And then yeah. what happens in the morning? So the morning, um, unfortunately it was still snowing, uh, still pretty socked in, couldn't see too much. So I knew right away that, uh, you know, there wasn't going to be that helicopter that day, um, and I was a little concerned because I didn't know what the forecast would do over the next few days. Um, so I just, you know, when it started to warm up, I could actually sleep a little bit. So I laid around most of the day, um, got some water at one point and just tried to rest up um, and think about what my options were. Uh, at, at that point, I had never... Yeah, I'd never look at that side of the mountain. I didn't bring a map, uh, which I definitely regret. Uh, I had some photos on my phone of the route, um, but my phone, the screen broke. Uh, I forgot to say that's one of the first things I tried was to pull out my phone, see if I could get any reception or anything, but the, the screen was broken, um, so I couldn't use it. And I thought the whole thing was broken, but I, I guess it was just the screen. Um, 
But so I was trying to decide, you know, oh, what do I do? I, I didn't know the geography on that side. Um, I, I had a compass. I knew which way was south. Um, I knew which way was north. I figured um, since there was a pond there, the water was running. I figured that that canyon must parallel the Maroon Bells side um, and that at some point they would meet uh, maybe in a larger canyon, the one I had skinned up in on the road. Um, but I still didn't think I could walk. You know, at that point, I was kind of like, I guess I could crawl maybe. You know, it would be probably three to four miles. So that didn't seem too attractive given the deep snow. Um, so really just just hung out, figured I'd wait for another day, um, and hopefully maybe it would clear out and search and rescue would, would be out looking. Uh, little did I know they were looking that day, uh, kind of scouring the west side. Um, it kind of, you know, dawned on me as well that at that point people would be very alarmed. Um, you know, it's when you're out on a Colorado peak, you know, you should be getting back at least, you know, the next morning if you got snowed in or something. Uh, at that point, I, I knew they'd know it was something more serious. So as the day went on, um, I got more frustrated. You know, I um, certainly movement seemed to be kind of the key to to, to dealing with the situation, um, at least morally or uh, morale wise. And so I, I, I crawled out. Um, it had been snowing all day. So there was like, I don't know, a couple inches of fresh snow on all of my gear, but I kind of dug out what I could managed to get my boots on, um, and tried to take a couple of steps uh, already. I was kind of blown away that I could stand, um, big improvement from the day before and, uh, try to take a couple of steps out of the little hole that I had dug. Um, and definitely hurt. And, you know, I, you know, I, I just thought there was no way I was going to walk. Um, so I kind of gave up, took my boots off again, got back into my cave and tried to sleep. Um, a couple more hours probably passed and I don't really know what it was that got me to get going again. I think the, the knowledge that, you know, my family would be, I knew they would just be in a, a terrible place. Um, and I, I knew as the hours went on, uh, the longer I waited, you know, I, maybe I was a little comfortable hanging out, but, but it situation was just getting worse for them. So that, and I think I got, I was just angry that I wasn't doing anything. Um, and honestly, anger <laughs> can be a good motivator sometimes. Sometimes that's how I get up routes, which is probably not the best philosophy, but I'll get mad at being incompetent or whatever, and I'll just go for it. So I just got really mad and climbed out of the cave, got all my gear together, and just decided I was going to start walking. Uh, could have done it a lot sooner because it was closer to the evening at that point. Um, but I figured, you know, anything I could do to, to get out of there and, uh, started limping along and was kind of surprised I was able to do it. Um, as long as I could keep my right leg kind of rigid, um, which was 
definitely a challenge in deep snow. Um, it didn't hurt so bad. And as I kind of found a rhythm, I was able to deal with the pain and kind of put it in the back of the mind. Um, so I, I started walking. It was a super slow progress. Um, I think that night I made it about half a mile and that probably took three hours. Um, but the snow, you know, at times it was only maybe a foot deep and that was great. Uh, sometimes I sunk in way deeper up to my hip and if that happened, well, you can imagine that wasn't very fun to get out of because I couldn't use my arm. Oh, and, and at that point, um, if they didn't have my ice axe, uh, I used my shovel, uh, as kind of a support and I'm trying to take some of that load off my right leg. And yeah, you, but you can imagine when it was deep snow, it was not pleasant. Uh, I remember one point I fell and you know, sunk into the snow and had to roll around and get myself out. And of course my elbow went out of place again and all that fun stuff. <laughs> um, but it didn't matter, you know, as terrible as the pain was, uh, I was making progress and that was huge because I just, you know, up to like an hour before I didn't, didn't expect to be making any progress. So that night, uh, kept going. I was following the river, um, just trying to make sure that I had running water the whole way. And I, the, the sun started going down and since I didn't have my headlamp, I knew, okay, that's you know, lights out, I got to start digging a cave again. Um, so I started digging one and also, as you could probably imagine, it's not very easy to dig a snow cave with one arm and one leg. So I tried digging straight into the hillside instead of kind of digging parallel to it. Uh, that was a bad decision because it was really difficult to dig deep. Um, so I dug a very shallow snow cave, which actually caved in on me too. So it was super shallow. Um, all, you know, when all said and done, I was pretty much curled up in a fetal position and my head was still sticking out. Uh, and my emergency bivy had torn to the sides at that point. So it wasn't super insulating, but it was still able to keep, um, the wind off of me, which was nice. So I really didn't sleep at all that night. And I had... I had a 1.5 liter Nalgene, uh, that was full and the other one I drank before I went to bed, uh, also had a little snack and, um, that one I was just going to use for a pee bottle anyway. So I just drank it. But the 1.5 liter, I tried to bury it in the snow and I think just out of laziness, whatever, I don't know. I wasn't thinking, didn't bury it all the way. So the top was still sticking out. And, uh, that froze. So I didn't have water. And, uh, so, you know, on top of being cold and all that, now I can't drink water. So I'm super thirsty and, uh, and cramped cause I can't move curled up in the fetal position. So I was really kicking myself for not taking more time to build a better shelter. That was, that was a pretty bad night. Um, but it progressed like the other night did, and, you know, eventually the sun came out, and um, the next day was beautiful. The There was no clouds. It's a little windy, but not too bad. Um, so I knew I had to get moving early, and I did not want to stay in that cave any longer than I had to. So I, I got right out as soon as the, the sun came out. Um, 
I got my first real good look down the the valley and I still not knowing the geography on that side, um, could not tell where it ended. Couldn't tell if there was an intersection with the Maroon Bells Valley. Um, so it was certainly weighing on my mind that I could be marooning myself out there. Um, but you know, I common sense told me I wasn't going to, but there was certainly that fear in the back of my mind that, wow, you know, what's, I'm going to wander off in the middle of nowhere, get myself killed and search and rescue is not going to find me because they're going to look at the obvious place I, I would have been. Um, yeah, I was, I was really scared that I was going to water down Canyon into some woods where they wouldn't even find me if they were going to fly overhead. You know, I wouldn't have a good way to signal them. Right. Um, so, but I, I just told myself, you know, it's got to feed into the bigger Canyon. It's got to meet up with it somewhere. I mean, that just, that just makes sense. So I kept going. Um, and let me tell you, it was a wonderful feeling when the sun hit me. Um, I was able to take some layers off and, and that I had really built up a lot of condensation. My clothes were super wet, um, just from laying in the snow like that. And that those bivy sacks, make a lot of condensation cause they don't breathe at all. Um, so it was really good to, to <clears throat> air out. And, uh, I kept going to the water to refill. Um, and somewhere along that point is when I, I got my glove pretty wet. Uh, it was really difficult to get to the water. Um, just, you know, bending down or doing anything was challenged. So I dropped the water or dropped my Nalgene in the water and then fish it out either with my shovel or with my hand. Um, and I think, I think I got my glove pretty wet. Um, it, my hand, my right hand had been cold the night before as well. I think just being in that glove, which was already a bit saturated. And then on top of it, I got it wet that day and there was wind, which, um, I think all those factors combined, uh, my glove, I, I was under the impression that, you know, I was kind of out of the bad weather since the sun was out and it was wonderful, but it was still cold and my glove froze. I think it'd been frozen for a while. Um, it's a strange thing. Like I've talked to some other people who, you know, have had similar, uh, experiences, at least with the cold and, when, when frostbite gets you, I don't know, you don't always see it coming. And, you know, my toes were super cold at that point. My body was in a lot of pain. So I was just trying to ignore everything. And I think I did that a little too well and ignored my hand. Um, and so the, the glove froze. And when I realized that my fingers were completely numb and I pulled off the glove and sure enough, you know, up to a little bit beyond each knuckle, all my fingers were turning gray um, so I knew I had gotten frostbite and was pretty upset about that. Cause I think it was quite avoidable. Um, if I had noticed the problem sooner, kept it out of the glove. Uh, I, I had a, a beanie that I put my hand in to keep it warm, um, which I still don't know if thawing it out was the correct choice. Um, another reason to get more medical training. Um, but that, that's what I did. And, you know, knew that thinking about it wasn't going to help anything. So I just kept going. Um, fortunately it was still usable cause I couldn't really use my, my left hand with my arm in the way it was. Um, so I kept moving and I saw a lot of planes that day I was trying to signal them. 
I used my uh, kind of shredded bivy sack, which was reflective. Um, as far as I know, nobody saw me. I stamped out a big, like, 30-foot SOS in the snow, which was a lot of work since walking in general was terrible. As far as I know, nobody saw the SOS. Um, but, you know, it's that it kind of had me a little down in spirits that I just I didn't really think that any of the planes were going to see me. Um, but uh, as I was walking, it was probably about noon, I saw a sign. I saw a wooden sign sticking out of the snow that said trail. Oh, my gosh. That, yeah, that, at that point I was like, okay, I'm, you know, still on planet earth. I'm going to find people eventually. I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. Yeah. Uh, cause I didn't know. Yeah. I had no idea there was a trail on that side of the Canyon and there is one that goes all the way up. Um, which I had not been on. And since it was the winter, it was buried just like everything else, but at least there was clearings, uh, for the trees, which was actually quite nice. So I got on the trail um, and kept going and eventually I identified the, uh, the Canyon that was the Maroon Bells Canyon on the West side. Um, I realized that the Canyon I'd been walking in was actually the same Canyon you approach in on the road. It turns out that the West Maroon, uh, Lake is, it, it's kind of a Canyon that forks off of the primary, um, so I realized like, Oh, you know, I'm going to walk straight up to the road and it's not as far as I thought. Um, so it's interesting because, you know, from everybody else's perspective, the situation is just getting worse and worse and worse. Yeah. But like when, when, when you tell the story, yeah, I'm thinking, Oh my gosh, it's one thing after the other. And you, and you have such a good attitude about it still, but then you're thinking, you know, no, every, everything I mean, I'm doing milestones here. Every it, it is getting better. Yeah. Yeah. It just, the situation kept improving from my perspective where from everybody else's perspective, yeah, they're just getting more and more concerned. I know kind of a low point for everyone else was when search and rescue announced that they found my ski gear by that avalanche run out, um, which makes sense. They thought, yeah, I had, stashed my stuff there and then gone straight up the goalie. And it looked like that, you know, the avalanche was recent. Um, so they were probing that for hours that day, that, that day was, uh, that was Tuesday. Yeah. So two days after I had fallen. Um, but from my perspective, yeah, it's all, it's all getting better. I'm almost to the road. Um, and I, I knew if I had got, if I got to the road, it was a nice day. So I was holding out hope that there'd be somebody on that road. I really didn't want to walk the next five miles back to the winter trailhead, even though it wouldn't be in deep snow, it would still not be fun. Um, so kept moving, um, finally actually saw the road itself, um, I had a backpack whistle, so I was blowing that constantly, hoping somebody would would hear it. Um, I lost the trail uh, a little further out because it went across some open areas, and I thought maybe at that point it broke down to the water, which is pretty far below me. And I really didn't want to parallel the road anymore. I just wanted to cut straight over and be right on it in case anybody came by. Um, so I made a beeline straight down to the water, and after wandering around a little bit down there, um, I actually found a really nice, uh, crossing, just like a buildup of sticks, but had been snowed over and kind of solidified. Um, 
So I was able to walk across that. And so at that point, it was just, I don't know, a couple hundred feet, a little bit of gain to get up to the road. Um, Sorry, you know, it had been kind of settling in over the last day, really. Um, But it was finally like hitting home. You know, I was going to make it out. Um, And as I was going up that snow slope, um, I heard somebody shouting and I look up and there's a guy on a fat tire bike yelling at his partner. And I, you know, I see that, Oh my goodness. You know, I just start yelling, help me. And, and he looks down, kind of looks confused because why is there a guy wandering around out by the river? And he says something, at least this is the impression I got. He says something to the effect of, no, no, no. You know, I'm I'm talking to my friend (laughs) and I'm like, no, help me. And I could have sworn he said, you know, really? Like, are you serious? And then goes, oh, because he realized, uh, I guess word had been out that there was somebody missing up there. And man, he, he shouted at his partner to come back down. He dropped everything, ran down the snow, uh, you know, set me down on his jacket, gave me his gloves, started feeding me chocolate. He was amazing. Um, and his buddy came down, he took all of my stuff and helped me up to the road while the guy, the first guy who found me, uh, got on his bike and started riding down to, uh, go get search and rescue. And I was on the road for about 20 minutes. The biker, the first guy hadn't reached search and rescue at that point down at the winter trailhead. They actually came down. They were heading out for the day and just saw me on the road. (gasps) Wow. Yeah, so I was only there for like 20 minutes when they picked me up. Um, and then, yeah, it sat me in front of a fire, got to call my parents, uh, pulled off my boots and found out that my toes were fine, uh, which was quite a relief. Um, so it was just frostbite on my right hand, ironically, the hand with the glove. <laughs> and, um, yeah, they and then they took me to, to the hospital. And then and at the hospital, what did the hospital say? What were all your injuries? Yeah, so I I, I broke my pelvis in three places, um, but it was all on the, the right side, so that's why I could put all my weight on the left. Um, and then my elbow, I didn't actually find out uh, until much later that I had torn um, I don't know what the, the tendon is in particular, but, but basically the, the tendons that stabilize the inner side of your elbow, those had torn. And so it wasn't a full dislocation. Um, it was kind of like a partial one. And because that was kind of weak, any of those, those motions that stress that joint, it would just, it would pop right out. I didn't have any other injuries, uh, no head trauma, anything like that, which was, pretty incredible. I really got fortunate. Um, quite, quite lucky. Do you have your fingers? Yeah. So the frostbite is gone from all but my middle finger right now. And there's just a tiny bit at the end. There's probably, well, a bit is either going to fall off, uh, or they're going to have to amputate, but it'll probably be about half of my nail. So I'm still going to have a nail on that finger and it'll still be usable for climbing and all the important things. So you did a lot of things, right? It sounds like. 
by bringing your baby sack, by having a whistle, by having the proper tools in terms of crampon, like your ski gear, crampons, helmet, practicing, uh, suffer fests in the winter with your buddies. <laughs> um, just in terms of like planning ahead and preparing, you you did a lot of things right. But I'm just wondering in your perspective, um, would you do anything differently for our listeners? Yeah. Um, there are a few things I would do differently. Uh, I, I definitely plan now on carrying a, like a personal locator beacon anytime I do something solo. Um, obviously that would have helped a lot of things. In terms of, you know, going solo or not solo, uh, I don't know that having a partner would have, you know, besides having somebody know where I was, which would be huge, I don't think it would have prevented the fall. Um, I wish I could give better advice. I I guess the only advice I can give in terms of, um, you know, safety, avoiding a fall like that in the first place is to not be complacent with any of the terrain. You know, I, I do a lot of technical climbing, so I'm very comfortable with exposure. Um, but so I get on class three or class two and I'm just kind of relaxed and I, you know, I don't know exactly what happened on the summit there, but I wouldn't be surprised if I had just kind of had my guard down, um, which led to that, uh, in terms of gear, I think anytime I, I do something like this again, I'm going to bring my sleeping bag with me, um, cause I would really have appreciated that on those nights. Uh, the emergency bivy sack is great. Should definitely bring one. Um, more is better and the weight is worth it. Uh, additionally have a map and have the proper medical training. These are all things I need to do myself. Um, you know, when you're, when you're in those situations, your mind, you know, you, you have to know what to do. You can't sit around thinking, um, you're just going to fall back on what you know how to do. So when it comes to winter camping survival, you know, all those little tricks like barrier water, do those things. You, you need to know that or you're going to mess up and you're going to pay for it. It applies to, to medical training as well. Um, I had no idea. I, I didn't know what to do with my injuries and if they had been more severe, um, you know, if there'd been more open wounds, boy, I mean, it would have just been, I would have had no idea what to do and probably would have messed up. So, you know, if you're taking that much risk to go solo, you better be prepared, you know, with the right knowledge, um, as well as experience. And the other thing, I think what helped me the most was, you know, the fact that I, I didn't panic all of that um, is that I have spent quite a bit of time processing the implications personally of what it means to, to climb solo, to take risk like that. I actually, strangely enough, two weeks before I fell, just self-published my first book, which has a lot of themes related to this sort of thing. So it was kind of like living out my own philosophy in a strange way. Um, and so to me personally, to have already contemplated you know, those sort of scenarios and to, to understand that I was putting that on myself. Um, you know, I never had to play the blame game. I was never like, Oh, why is this happening to me? Why is the mountain doing this to me? Because I, I, I knew I did it to myself. Um, and to be able to get over that quickly and just go, okay, now what do I do? Um, and do it meant the difference. Um, of the difference of survival. I think so. I, I think so. Cause you just can't waste time and energy. Um, you can't panic. 
But you're, you're going to do that if, if A, you don't have the experience, don't know what to do, and B, if, if you're having any delusions about why it happened. Um, yeah, if you have any delusions about why it happened, that's going to weigh on you as well and maybe make you, you panic or you don't understand. Um, you know, I certainly didn't do everything correctly. And uh, if a number, have, a number of things had gone differently... Uh, especially concerning my like medical uh, health con- situation, um, I wouldn't have known what to do. So I, I was very fortunate, very lucky, um, and I hope that anybody listening would would hear to that and go, "Oh, okay. If I'm taking those sort of risks, you know, you want to be more prepared than I was because you're not always going to be as lucky." Well, thank you so much for sharing. And can you just tell me a little bit about this self-published book and? Um, and how we can get a copy. Yeah. Um, so it's called the pilgrim's ladder. It's a fictional story about, um, a man crossing some mountains, trying to find, trying, trying to discover something for himself. And it's kind of an exploration of, of, of beauty and life and kind of what's, what's worth pursuing. Um, and it's available on Amazon. It probably is the easiest way to, to pick up a copy. So, yeah, that, that's the, the Pilgrim's Ladder. Um, and, yeah, if, you, if you're, you're curious, check it out. Oh, I'm definitely going to be checking that out. <laughs> cool. <laughs> so, Ryan, do you have any final words you'd like to leave our listeners with? I don't know. I, I just felt like I did what I, you know, it's like you're backed into a corner. What do you do? Um, so I hope that people... You know, I, I, I tell the story as much as I sometimes don't like <laughs> going and being public about these sort of things. I, I, I tell it so that people can make the right decisions themselves. Well, thanks so much, Ryan, for being on the show and sharing that incredible story. And um, to the listeners, uh, Ryan did a lot of things right. He carried his emergency bivy to the summit. He had a stove, a whistle, and tried to stay out of the elements as best as he could by building pretty good shelters. He stayed hydrated as best he could until the one night where he admittedly um, didn't bury his water bottle in which it froze. He didn't panic. He had a good mountain sense and was able to piece together where he was and orient himself for the hike out to get help. He stayed positive, and, and he really gave it his, his best. By talking with Ryan, it sounded like he would have greatly benefited from having some wilderness medicine knowledge. I've suggested it on previous shows, but again, I can't stress enough how important having a wilderness first responder certification can be. It can be the difference between life and death in some cases. You owe it to yourself and you owe it to your mountain partners to have the knowledge of medicine when all you have out there is each other. Regarding the frostbite, You only rewarm the extremity if there is no chance of refreezing. In other words, think about how long the evac will take. Do you have the necessary tools and equipment to keep that extremity warm and dry? If you don't have these things, best just to keep it frozen. Package it and be very careful not to do more damage. Okay, well, thanks again, Ryan, for being on the show. And again, thanks to all of you listeners. This episode is sponsored by Mammut, Vertical Medicine Resources, and the Colorado Outward Bound School. Vertical Medicine Resources is an innovative climbing medicine company. 
They recently came out with a new book titled Vertical Aid, Essential Wilderness Medicine for Climbers, Trekkers, and Mountaineers. This book recently hit Amazon's number six in wilderness medicine bestsellers. The Colorado Hour Bound School has been changing lives through challenge and discovery for more than 50 years, offering wilderness expeditions in Colorado, Utah, Arizona, Alaska, and Ecuador. Courses range from 8 to 81 days in length for ages 12 through adult and include backpacking, mountaineering, rafting, canyoneering, and rock climbing. Visit cobs.org to plan your next adventure. And who knows, maybe I'll be your instructor. Until next time, play hard and be smart.